evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, the largest single-screen drive-in in the United States. We're certainly glad you could be with us this evening. And don't forget the concession stand is open with all kinds of great things to eat and drink. Mahoning Drive-In Radio, your old friend Virgil back once again for another exciting episode of the podcast. As you guys know, the only podcast dedicated to the love and revival of our beloved drive-in culture. And boy, oh boy, are we feeling the love as we're about to jump into our 2023 season. We are weeks away. Uh, So we've assembled, joined as always with my co-host and general manager extraordinaire, Mark. Say hello, my friend. Hello. Jeff, King Jeff in the house. Say hello, my bro. Hi, everybody. And uh, yeah, we're going to go through the magic that is our April and May calendar. There's been so much going on, uh, so much that we are kind of holding back and waiting to reveal to the world um, that, yeah, everything is just all over the place. But it's really nice to just settle in and look at all the cool stuff that we got coming up. So why don't we start at the very top? Mark, why don't you let the folks know? Where are we starting? The majority of this episode, and we're we're shooting for three hours, is going to focus on the April calendar. So the April calendar consists (laughs) of one weekend at the end of April. It's April 28th and 29th, Friday and Saturday. And it is our traditional weekend opener, opening weekend show. It is The Wizard of Oz, followed by Willy Wonka and The Chocolate Factory. But this year, there's a twist. Ooh. Oh. We're showing them in Spanish. No, the twist this year <laughs> is that we are flopping the traditional order of the films on Saturday because we have heard had feedback from people saying, you know, we're coming with my kids and the kids can't stay up late enough to see Willy Wonka and it's the one they really want to see. So on Saturday night, we're going to lead with Willy Wonka and follow that with The Wizard of Oz. So Friday night is Oz, then Wonka. Saturday night, Wonka, then Oz. We are flipping oh, and flopping. Yeah, it's, it's something that we talked about for a while. We did it, I think, once or twice in our run where, you know, if you were playing the same thing, we would flip it, but very rarely. And especially right. that opening weekend. But it right. does make sense. There are uh, a lot of cases, even with, now that I have kids, like Virgie just never makes it to uh, see that chocolate factory. So it'll yeah. be really nice to, uh, to get that love and fandom. I'm curious to see... If uh, like the Wonka heads come out harder on Saturday and it's it's more uh, Oz heavy on on Friday, but either yeah. way, it's going to be a nice uh, a nice experience. We have all sorts of fun planned as always. It's not just the movies; it's all about the experience at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We certainly will have come and meet the great and powerful Oz once again in our concession lobby, and that was super fun. Yeah. How would you describe that, Mark? It's just like a a projection type of setup? It was video back projection, live video recreation of the Oz face on like a magic mirror, so to speak, in our lobby. And you could ask Oz questions. We had a microphone set up there and Oz would give you live responses. And when not giving live responses, Oz was telling the corniest Oz-based jokes you could imagine. (laughs) Ever wanted to see the great and powerful Oz as like a stand-up nightclub comic? (laughs) I think she can take that on the road. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, to show behind the curtain, Mistress Seneca is our great and powerful Oz. She's also uh, one of our uh, main production uh, folks as well at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater with her partner, Jason. 
some of the choice things that they've delivered. They did the Aliens setup last year. They did Tim Burton Weekend. All those decorations and that cool projection. Yeah. Yeah, Zeneca goes above and beyond with, what would you say, the medium that she works in? Like, not yep. only do her and Jason do all sorts of sculpture stuff and kind of uh, clay creations, but it also has stemmed into this projection situation. So for our trauma yeah. weekend, I remember they had the whole kind of trauma cityscape and uh, had it all projected on a full cutout, like a uh, foam uh, building of it. It's stunning, but yeah, come on out for that. They're also responsible for the photo op of the weekend, which is a humongous draw. Uh, you'll have oversized Wonka bars. You'll have candy. You'll have all sorts of um, amazing stuff to come out and get those photos with. And I'm almost certain the Demers will be back as Willy Wonka himself. I'm not sure what Cindy is going to be dressed up as this year. But I'm sure she's going to come in, in full style. So really looking forward to it. I mean, where do you guys fall with those memories? We've I have so many memories now with just this movie and these movies in general because we've played them for nine years straight. But I don't know. I mean, I, we've talked about it. I played the um, Cowardly Lion in my high school play. So I know The Wizard of Oz back and forth. It's one of those movies that means the world to me. Yeah. And Wonka, the ultimate kids escape movie. But you guys might have the, the better memories. I definitely didn't have the tradition of waiting for it to come on television. And that was the big choice with bringing it back every year. That's what it was for me. Wizard of Oz was an event every year. It was on CBS every year. I don't remember what time of year it was, but it was a big deal. And it was, you know, you could, right. parents would let you stay up late to see the whole movie because with commercials, it's not a short movie either, but with commercials, it went kind of late for a... When I say Sunday night, maybe, maybe Sunday or Saturday yep. night that was on. And before CBS, it was on NBC. When I was little, it was on NBC. Oh, okay. Yep. It was a yearly thing. It wasn't until home video that you could own it and then watch right. it all the time. Right. If you missed it that one time a year, that was it for another year. And that's what works really well with the tradition that we have built. And when we first started, that that's what it was all about. And we have seen... Kids grow up at this event, families grow at this event, which we always love. Um, and it's become that thing that everybody looks forward to. Right. But in true Mahoney fashion, it, it would only be right that we started out nice, light, and easy, and then take a hard right on our first Sunday and dip our toes into something new with our freaked 35 millimeter screening and our halfway to Halloween flea market. So experiences with Freaked, Mark, is this one that uh, was on your radar? So let me let me tell you a little something about Freaked. <laughs> Go ahead. So I knew Bill and Ted. Wouldn't it be cool if we ran that? I knew Bill and Ted. Did you know the, the movie, excellent adventure? And oh. then Alex Winter after that did a show <laughs> on MTV called The Idiot Box. Alex yes. Winter and his partner, Tom Stern, his like directing creative partner. And it was this show that was really weird sketch comedy wraparounds for music videos of the day. And it was really weird and really creative and really funny. And not long after that, they made this movie Freaked. So it was just like, I was it was exciting. It's like, what, they're going to make a movie like that? And it didn't really get released. I mean, there's a 35 print, so obviously it played theaters somewhere. But I remember hearing about it. It was a cover story in Film Threat magazine, which is this great, like, alternative, edgy cult movie. 
it was like the the weirdo version of Premiere magazine back then. And yeah. they, it was it was almost like a guarantee. If they put a movie as a cover story in their magazine, it would just never come out because it was freaked. It was the the Corman Fantastic Four. It was Argento's Trauma. All these movies. Yeah. That were, <laughs> these movies that's now huge. all bootlegged. Available. They just, like never come out. So I saw I freaked on. Um, I think it was like Cinemax when it first hit, and I really liked it. It's really funny and just bizarre. It's it is okay. a type of dark humor that like was perfect. It hit me at the right time. And I I never watched Idiot Box on uh, when it was on television, but I kind of remember those those segments, like those bumpers. It was hyper creative, where they would use all different types of, you know, again, kind of like claymation mixed with animation, mixed with puppetry, mixed with just nutty art. Obviously, the villain Ted Angle was the hook in, you know, but once you settle in with this movie from Jump. It is like one of the weirdest like trips you'll ever have. It's it, I don't even know how to describe it to people. All I keep saying is like there's a cow man, Keanu Reeves plays a, a dog boy, there's a bearded woman played by Mr. T. Like how much more weird do you need to get? The, the basic <laughs> plot if I recall is that Alex Winter plays some like former child star or some Hollywood falls in with this group of like circus freaks that were, were they created by Randy Quaid? Who's like a a sideshow guy. It's just this weird, like community of circus freaks that are just insanely weird and cartoony. I believe the Kyoto brothers had something to do with a lot of the creature effects in this film. It makes total uh, sense. It's, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. It is incredibly rare to see this screened publicly it's incredibly rare to see it on 35. Like, I don't know the last time this played anywhere. It probably played within the last few years somewhere in the country, but it's the kind of movie that plays maybe once every handful of years. It's it's a, it's a rare opportunity. And uh, they did a really great job with the DVD at the time release. And that's really when I fell down the rabbit hole. That's when I was going through the film school days, the video store era. And it was packed with all sorts of extra features, commentaries, and you could not help but love those guys. Like hearing their passion, even though, you know, they put their heart into something and it totally flopped on the surface, it has a crazy cult following. And that's what the Mahoning is good for is trying to dig deep and bring those kind of childhood gems back to the surface for you. But the idea that we get to do it early at 3 p.m. with vendors leading all the way up to sundown with a halfway to Halloween celebration, I can just see it now. The costumes leading into this, you know, crazy effects, costume heavy movie. It's going to be fantastic. And it should be mentioned, Alex Winter is incredibly uh, supportive of this movie. And I've seen him actually hit the road and introduced this film, I think it was in London recently, but we're, we're, can we say it? I don't know. Can we say it? We can say that we are working on getting a very special introduction for the film. We say that because if the introduction doesn't show up, we didn't say, hey, yeah. guess what? Abraham Lincoln's doing an introduction for this movie. <laughs> yes. Well, we can say that Alex is super into the idea of us doing this and is supportive of it. Um, and that's probably cool enough, you know, if the event alone wasn't cool enough. So right away, people asked, are you guys starting Tuesdays? Is it going to be every other? Are you going to do just the summer season? 
Um, we put our heads together, and Harry's like, I'm coming out swinging. So where do we go right away for the Tuesdays? 1981. The movie that started it all. Stephen King calls it one of the most frightening films I have ever seen. Not an actual <laughs> quote. He, Stephen King had some quote that was bandied around. It's Evil Dead. It's the original Evil Dead. Sam yeah. Raimi, Bruce Campbell, 80-something minutes of grueling horror, ultimate experience, big screen, 35 It's minutes. It's the Evil yeah. Dead. I mean, come on. This is the one we really don't have to sell. I do love those Stephen King quotes, though. Whenever he drops those before a trailer. There's another great one. It's uh, when we play the Hellraiser trailer. Oh, yes. I've seen the new face of horror, and it is. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that's the that's the staple right yeah. there. You know, if you get a quote from King himself, and the new hate and the new face of horror is ugly. It is in this movie. Well, I'll go into my experience, uh, which I'm sure we've talked about on the podcast before. But when I was way too young to see the Evil Dead two which was my intro into the trilogy. I stayed up at a mountain house every single year up in like uh, uh, Sullivan County, Pennsylvania. So middle of nowhere, practically. You don't have any reception on your phone, anything like that. And uh, my uncle, bless him, there was a little video store, general store that also rented videos at the time for, for that, uh, that time. And he snagged that videotape, brought it home, and me and my cousins watched it with him, you know, as he's giving us kind of commentary along. And naturally, being a child that, you know, I might have been eight or something like that, it split my mind in two. It was like nothing I had ever seen in a setting that is already kind of spooky and scary once the sun goes down. It's like middle of nowhere, no contact, no nothing. And that just sent me down the rabbit hole. I remember the next day we went back um, and got Army of Darkness and Evil Dead and and watched them throughout the week that we were there on vacation. And when I was in college, I'd always say, you can judge somebody by what their trilogy is. You know, like you ask them, hey, what's, what's your favorite trilogy? But for me, like, I'm just an Evil Dead guy. I think a lot of people are that. It's creativity and tenacity on display which is a great crossover with just who we are and what we do but i love the story of how uh sam raimi got this movie made and maybe you can go into more detail mark but he pretty much went around to like his local dentists and anybody who yeah. kind of had some money and just did this grassroots fundraising and I, there was some sort of share in it as well where once yeah, it was sold released, them, they, they sold got them a shares in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, did that pay off for anybody who was <laughs> who took a gamble on a young artist. Think about how many times this has been reissued on home video. All three of the original Evil Dead movies. You know, Anchor Bay put them out in so many different editions. It's oh my god, all the time. Yeah. I own at least like, you know, 10 copies of different variations of VHS, Blu-rays, multiple boomstick cuts, this, that, you know? Well, initially they did ending. a film, a film, like a, a test film, a short version of this to raise funds for it called Within the Woods. And that was the holy grail for Evil Dead fans for a long time in wanting to get that on a home video release. And it was a couple times, it was almost, it was announced, it was almost going to be on, but apparently it uses copywritten music and it always has kept it off there. But I think it's out there. If you poke around, you can find it online. Oh, I'm sure it's if it, that's not on one of the 10 DVDs I have. I'll... <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> like it is. I how deep are they digging? 
I first saw Evil Dead 2. A friend of mine's uh, older sister had rented it. and Same it thing, intro? Where... That's weird. It's yeah. that, that movie's the intro, yeah. And it, it's funny, Evil Dead, if, you, if somehow you don't know about these movies, Evil Dead 2 is the first few minutes of Evil Dead 2 are basically a recap, or the first 10 minutes, 15, I don't know, are basically a remake slash recap of the first Evil Dead, and then it becomes the sequel to Evil Dead. So you can, and somebody has, cut those two. They've actually cut all three movies together in a fan edit as one long movie because they're all kind of continuous with a couple cast changes for the, the Linda character here and there. And uh, I saw Evil Dead 2 and I loved it because it was so funny and so visually insane. And then I went back and watched Evil Dead and I didn't like it as much. I think I still don't like it as much as Evil Dead 2. That bar is high. It's good. I mean, it's, it is a very good, grueling horror movie. But I, I think I, I was just I was taken in by how much more professional Evil Dead 2 was. And then Army of Darkness, I just I love to death because it's it's like if you put the Three Stooges in medieval times and, and and mixed it with like if you if you mixed it up with the dialogue rhythms of how Fred McMurray talks in Double Indemnity, it's just this bizarre mashup of of styles. But it's really great. And you know this is the movie that started it all. We've got the Evil Dead Rise coming out. It may be out by the time this podcast comes out, which yeah. is the latest new incarnation of the Evil Dead series. And uh, it's just, it, it just, it does not, much like the force in the Evil Dead, nothing can stop these movies. Yeah, and working with Exhumed Films in the very early days, Harry would say, I've never had a bad screening of Evil Dead. It's, it's fandom incarnate, you know, like it's when you walk into Spirit Halloween and there's certain things that are just in your face, kind of big brand, Evil Dead has been that for, geez, 30, 40 years yeah. now. So it's it's hard not to shake, but you'll see some fandom on display. Every time we introduce the Tuesdays, we get a really big crowd. That was designed for locals, which is worth mentioning. But we get people from all over the place. You got to remember, we are literally a town away from one of the biggest tourist towns in Pennsylvania. Right. So any week uh, from a certain time, Memorial Day to Labor Day, there's people around, there's people in the area, and our whole thing is giving them an alternative from going to the, the indoor right down the road. So it's we're really excited about it and tons of stuff coming up. Now we jump right away into remake, double take, and this year we got Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, we're playing the original from 56 as well as the remake from 1978. And boy, oh boy, talk about two incredibly effective movies that still, when you watch them, feel timeless. I have more of a childhood nightmare, I guess I could say, <laughs> with that experience of watching the 78 version. It just burns into your brain in a way that, you know, Fire in the Sky very much did earlier uh, in my life. So, but for you guys, where does your memories fall with the Invasion of the Body Snatchers double? I would say... I'm not sure. I must have seen the first one. I must have, but I, I can't recall it that well. But I remember the second one. I saw that in an indoor theater uh, when it first came out. I loved it. I, I thought it was a great movie. Uh, I, matter of fact, I can't wait to see it again because I know there's parts of it I've forgotten. That second movie is so good. It is one of the rare occasions where a remake is just as good as, and some might even say better than yeah. the original. I first saw the the 78 version on uh, WLVI Channel 56 out of Boston. They would do the 8 o'clock movie every night. And I watched that with my father, and I thought it was really good and creepy. And I saw it again 
Uh, I think it was actually on film, somewhere screening locally to where I am here. And there is a sense of uneasiness and dread from frame one of that movie. Even before weird stuff yeah. is going on, you just see people in the, in the in the background, in the periphery of the frame. There's a, a guy at a, at a what is it, a, a, a Chinese laundromat who's acting a little weird. It's like something is off in this movie, and it really, really works on you a lot. The original yeah. is great. It's a great 50s paranoia film. I, was, I saw that on TV originally, and then I saw it. Uh, the story I always tell, which I've probably told here a couple times, but when I was in college, we had a really good movie theater on campus. It was state-of-the-art for its day. It could do 35, 16, and 70. Great sound system. And a friend of mine was a projectionist there. So even after we both graduated, he was still projectionist. And what he would, I think the statute of limitations has expired on this. Even when um, when he a new print would come in, he would be prepping it. It was a platter system. He was getting it ready on Thursday night and he would invite friends over for like a 10 o'clock or midnight show after like the theater was closed. And he invited a bunch of us to see this new print at the time of Invasion of the Body Snatchers 56. And I was the only guy who showed up and I had worked a full day. And I sat there alone in the theater while he was in the booth prepping something else or breaking down the previous night's film. And I was a little sleepy and I was watching this movie sort of drifting in and out of sleep, which if you know the plot of the film is not what you want to do in the context of the film. So <laughs> it was this weird experience where the film and whatever dream I was having kind of melded and I was sort of phasing in and out of consciousness. And it was just, it's a wonderful memory of seeing this. Wow. Talk about a, yeah, a, a way to, to see it, you know, and, and, and this is a film it's been remade several times after 78. Oh, we could have, people said you could do, you know, probably three days of this because I just, I don't know if anybody would show up for that second night is the only, it's one. tough. And we even considered it because we, at a certain point we were looking at the Abel Ferrer remake, which right. I mean, that movie is strong, but it's it's a different type of audience, I think. That that ran at the Exhumed 24-Hour Fest, and it's a movie I had never seen. I had two issues with it. One, I thought it was mega cheesy, and everything I don't like about 90s cinema, it, it boldly did. And it was really dark. Like, really dark. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, at a drive-in, this movie is going to be unwatchable. But I know it's I know it has its fans. Some people were like vo vocally super excited that it played when it because with the 24 hour show, should we even be talking about what played at the 24 hour show at the 24 hour shows? <laughs> uh, you It's all mystery movies. You don't know what it's going to be until right. it hits the screen. So sometimes like the opening logo for a film will come up like Columbia and people will be like, yes. I'm like, how do you know what this is? <laughs> and uh, like the first title came up like, you know, so like, like a Mario Kassar presents or something and people or Mustafa Akkad presents. And people just went like went crazy. Not that this is who presented that, but it was like one title came on screen and people were like cheering on this movie. Yeah. And then it was remade as The Invasion with Nicole Kidman. And it was, was Daniel Craig in that, I think? And, and see, like for me, that was just okay. Like I saw that in a theater, you know, but I don't know. That, that doesn't feel, um, you know, as you would say, Mahoning. Dennis doesn't have the Mahoning feel, you know? It's this mix of wanting to do, like, it was part of what we do is, like, educational. Like, you know, it's a scholarly exercise, this remake Double Take. Right. And part of it also is wanting to actually entertain an audience and yeah. make money. And, like, it, we talked about this with another other franchise where maybe if you mixed and matched, like if you did the first Body Snatchers 56 paired that with Abel Ferrara and then paired 78 with Invasion, that might work, but then you're kind of losing that whole 
interesting the vibe yeah yeah the fact that we've been able to deliver truly impactful original films and also very stellar remakes that's kind of been the move with remake double take or we would call it second chance week (laughs) you know they're both strong titles that's the point of it yeah we don't want to go with something that's subpar and then you have a square up reel at the end. No, we could actually eventually go beyond horror and sci-fi with this. You can do westerns, you can do comedies. I mean, there That's are a lot of solid, solid remakes of other yeah. genres too. We've just stuck with, you know, our bread and butter so far for this series. Yeah, it's been a nice intro into the the horror. Traditionally, it's been our first, you know, horror event, quote unquote, of the season. I'm wondering what the western version would be. What would that be? Invasion of Gunsmoke? <laughs> You know, we talked about it because uh, we we have very close connection to a print. But True Grit, the, that remake means so much to me. And that True Grit original is absolutely a Stone Cold yep. classic. That was so, in that one hall. Yeah. And I think True Grit could stand alone. The remake stand alone as a modern Marvel type of series, which we've been talking about recently. So it's so difficult. You know, when it comes to the programming, it is a group effort. We all, you know, kind of give our input and I I bounce back and forth ideas off of everybody and see how they react. And in this case, this was the one, you know, this is one people have been asking for since we introduced this event. But to talk about the original a little bit, I would play it all the time at the video store because as I've talked about in the past, I had all these televisions throughout the store and you could play whatever you want. There was a master VCR up front that you could pop in whatever tape that you want, played on all the VCRs. It was like being God for eight hours. (laughs) (laughs) Cinematic God, at least. But I would turn the volume down a lot with stuff and just kind of let it play so everybody could, you know, have their conversations freely. But the performance that Kevin McCarthy gives in that movie is bonkers. Like, it's one that caught me in those kind of film school, early, late high school years. And that's when I was up on stage. And I would watch him emote without any sound on those televisions. And it was so inspiring to me, you know, as far as how you could embody panic. (laughs) He was just so fantastic. So I really can't wait to visit this revisit this again and obviously cross it off the 35 mil bucket list right (laughs) Uh, right you know we have always done a two-day remake double take but this year we are trying something different we're doing a standalone on friday night and taking a right turn on saturday night as we go into that's right another alex winter gem bill and ted's excellent double feature all right Does it get any better? I don't know. We've done this a couple times. Uh, The fandom, again, around Bill and Ted is magical and definitely comes out to support in a big way. But for me, it is so on the nose. Like, this was the HBO cable every weekend rental. Um, Every single kid wanted to be Bill and Ted. Uh, For me, I seriously, I'll go to my grave. That sequel is... (laughs) It hit me better than that the original, and I still think it is my preferred over the original. How do you feel about it, Mark? Where did the Bill and Ted fandom whack you on the head? It, Bill and Ted, I, I like the first one better. I didn't care for the second one quite as much. Or Station! It's, it's weird. It's a lot of rubbery monsters. It's much more um, 
in, intellectually speaking, much more akin to Freaked or to the stuff that Alex Winter did. Like, I just looked it up to see if he directed it because it's so of that weird sensibility. Um, originally titled Bill and Ted Go to Hell, which is a shame they didn't stick with that title because that's just funny. Um, the original Bill and Ted, if you look, it was shot a couple years before it came out. It sat on the shelf for a few years. And there's a moment where Alex Winter's reading a newspaper and they say something about San Dimas and you see his lips say 1987, but it's dubbed over to say 1988 or 89, whatever year that movie came out. But no, I thought it was funny. I really liked the first one, San Dimas High School Football Rules. I, my friends and I would quote it all the time and uh, I never saw it in the theater. I never saw any of them in the theater. Um, the first one, it, it, I think it did okay in theaters, did pretty well, but it never played near me. And uh, the second one, I didn't catch up with that until it hit cable too. Well, that's that's the thing. Like sometimes the fandom has to kind of catch up with the fans. And that happened a lot, I feel like, in my childhood where I would see the original like over and over again on cable. And then I would experience the sequel in theaters. Um, and maybe that experience is the, the reason why I prefer so many sequels sometimes over the originals. Well, funny enough, that's what that's what made the John Wick movies, speaking of Keanu Reeves. The first one barely got released and it, it built a following on video and then two hit theaters in a big way. And they've just they've built ever since then. So there were a few movies like Eddie and the Cruisers was a movie like that that came out in theaters, did OK. And then it got huge on home video and cable. Cable really like, made a like lot of rush that movies. sequel out quick. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to be said. Obviously, the great George Carlin as Rufus, the effects never ending when it comes to Bill and Ted. So be sure to come out for that one. That's going to be on May the 6th. Then we go into one of my favorite films ever made and uh, featuring my favorite band and greatest band on the planet tenacious d and the pick of destiny selfishly this was booked as a birthday show uh it's just a public birthday show <laughs> give yourself the gift yeah. of your favorite film yeah <laughs> well nance told me she's like i want to throw a birthday party and i'm like well you know if it's if you're telling me it's not a surprise i want it to be on the lot you know so uh, we decided to do this and me and Nance share our birthdays are very close together. She's two days after me. So we're going to kind of do a, a celebration. I am going to sing some Tenacious D covers with my old Tenacious D buddy, Scott Goddard. When we were in high school and in college, we were in a Tenacious D cover band called the Cape and, Cape and Scepter. And some of the best times of my life, those belly laugh late nights were spent rocking and rolling with him. He was also the lead guitarist in my band, Man the Fire. But uh, really excited. Is this a movie that crossed either of your guys' radars? No, I got to admit, uh, it, it, it did not. Uh, I don't think I ran that one. Usually, almost every film I ran, I sat down and watched ahead of time. Uh, and I don't It's It's infamously didn't do well okay. in theaters. But yeah. again, Holt, you know, has that yeah. following. Yeah, I knew who they were. And Jack Black was huge. And I remember seeing TV ads for this, but I don't ever remember it playing anywhere near me. And I just didn't, I don't, it wasn't the kind of thing I would have gone to see anyway, it, but it looked crazy. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the, the lore of Tenacious D, like it is inherently cult. That CD, that original CD, it started kind of as them going around doing these comedy shows, open mic performances and really caught on and they were able to build this comedy persona around it 
And when I say it's uh, kind of a lifestyle persona, something that can suck you in, it very much reminds me of almost like a, a Monty Python type of thing where you could say this is a certain type of comedy and a very specific voice and at that time a very what some would say immature voice you know but for somebody coming up right where i was it was the ultimate still is the funniest comedy album for me and they have been able to carry out that career that mantra to always go on and rock it it's it's something very easy to relate to but this movie to give it some love it is a rock opera like literally it's it's like a musical and the tenacious music is not only very easy to listen to it actually rocks so jack black's an incredible singer his sidekick kyle gas just kicks out the jam so i'm really excited and hope that people come out just to kind of give it a shot or rediscover it but i saw a lot of people excited about it it's one of those movies that is very beloved if you are a tenacious fan so i saw them over the break over uh the off season and of course they blew my mind and it was fantastic so really excited about that one and then we take the hardest right turn of the season where are we going for our next tuesday mark well this is a film you know we invite all the families to come out and uh and probably never come back again this is a tunnel vision tuesday and if we didn't mention it before exhumed films tunnel vision tuesdays it's always 35 obviously but they always do a extended pre-show of trailers so it's a single feature on a weeknight but harry will give you like a full reel usually 20 minutes or roughly that of a themed trailers sometimes it's trailers for other tunnel vision tuesdays coming up but a lot of times if it's if he's showing a spaghetti western it's all spaghetti western trailers in this case he is showing the incredibly notorious 1980 italian cannibal film cannibal holocaust this is a film i've never seen because i feel like it's a line i don't want to cross <laughs> <laughs> you this can't is, go back it, it was a genre they were they were you know italian cannibal movies and it was always you know the caucasian people go out into the jungle and really treat the natives poorly and then are in turn treated even more poorly by said natives this film yeah. uh, involves actual animal killing in it gruesome i'm told gruesome animal killing in it that makes it superbly infamous and simulated uh horrible things done to human beings as well so it's it's with the greatest of uh discretion they say parental discretion is advised viewer discretion is advised uh, know what you're in for with this but this is a rare screening and it is one of those things that people horror fans feel like it's a badge you can wear after you've you've made it through this movie i know we've run it before i wasn't here it was during a it was italian italian shock weekend or something like that that exhume did Yes, the yeah. schlock, or no, I'm sorry, the shock, Euro shock show. Yeah, and I wasn't here for that either. I probably won't come out for this because this is one that I think I'm going to keep at a distance for a long time. I know people who have seen it who love it and they say, it's, yeah, it's not that bad. But uh, just just so you know, it's uh, we're going back to the grindhouse. We're going back to the classic days of drive-ins showing really, you know, edgy, oddball stuff with this one. Yeah, uh, exploitation and grindhouse, it, it dives into it. And uh, we don't steer away from it on Tuesdays. We've talked about it many a times on the podcast and on the, the radio. Films are meant to be seen. Films are meant to be discussed. They're meant to be uh, a launching board for discussion. And I do get it. I get where you're coming from, Mark. It does have a, a I guess, a stigma around it. Yeah. but. It is definitely a trip worth it for those people who are 
uh, into that. You know, when we did uh, the promotions over the off season, people were so excited. And uh, you can't doubt the timely tribute to Diodato, who had just passed away, what, a couple months ago at this point? Um, it, uh, I think it was a little longer than that. But rel in the recent scheme of things, we a lot of times it's a good thing to bring up. A lot of times uh, an actor or a director will die and people will message us and say, oh, you should do a tribute show to so-and-so. And we book our calendar so far in advance that we can't really just like cancel a show that's already in motion. So I always kind of want to say, well, if you're still interested in that uh, so in, in that Raquel Welch tribute in about seven months, <laughs> we'll to squeeze that in. But I don't know if, if it's still going to have as much heat on it at that point. I mean, this, the person, the artist is still the artist, but uh, we we can't usually put those on that quickly. So uh, if you yeah. want to view it as a Diodato tribute show, uh, sure, it's, why it's, not? He's right, most known tie for. In. It'll be like when uh, Dave at the Lunar ran Purple Rain. He was he had to wait to, to play it for the Prince tribute. He said nobody came. In. <laughs> yeah, we got two or three cars. Now they're like, I guess they, I guess they don't care now, huh? Just like that, they forgot about well, our man. I think it's one of those things, and, and I, I totally get it. And a lot of uh, theaters have the, especially if you're an indoor theater, have the ability to do that on a on a spur of the moment. People are passionate. They they're they're grieving. They really want to you know celebrate the work of somebody, and they want to go out and see that movie. You know, in in while well, those feelings are still fresh, and if it's you know a year later, the movies are still good, but they they might not have the passion they would have had to see again with Raquel Welch, uh, uh, Fathom, and uh, uh, Bedazzled, which would actually be really fun. One million BC. Oh yeah, one million BC. That's that's the what would you show? One million BC and Fuzz. She didn't star in a lot. Fathom, she starred in. That yeah. was pretty good. Flare Up, she starred in. That was pretty good. Yeah, even but, Fantastic. Uh, anyway, we're talking about cannibals. Even Fantastic Voyage would be good. Yeah. We're, we're trying is, not to talk about cannibals. We're, we're booking next well, <laughs> Fantastic Voyage and uh, 1 million BC. That's done. cool. I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you, Cannibal yeah. Holocaust, though, I didn't like the sequel. I hated it. It was terrible. Yeah? What was that one? Yeah, well, all the cannibals, they bought race cars. And then they, the sequel... <laughs> the sequel is Cannibal, Cannibal Run. They did, they did, yeah, they did Cannibal, Cannibal Run. Run? Yeah. We're, we're Cannibal. A friend of mine joked about that. Mixing a cross-country road race in a, in a post-apocalyptic movie and call it Cannibal, Cannibal Run. But the one Run. guy was asking for Ooh, it, though, was... when he stood next to the cannibals and said, eat me, that, that was not good. Yeah. That was the inciting incident. Yes. That's on the 9th of May. Mark your calendars, freaks. The 12th and 13th, we jump into the sci-fi weekend. RoboCop versus Terminator. This is a long time coming. Friday night, RoboCop 1, RoboCop 2. Saturday night, Terminator 1, Terminator 2, all on 35mm. This is one that speaks for itself, but we're going to let the ticket sales speak for themselves when it comes to the actual battle and see uh, what's the more attended show. And that will be the, uh, the crown champion of the weekend. Yeah. But for me... I mean, it's one of those arguments like peanut butter chocolate. I like both of them. And nothing's more badass to me than that original Robocop. And there's certainly nothing more impactful in my life than that second Terminator. So it's for me, it's just a dream weekend. I can't pick a baby. Yeah. I'm probably more Terminator than Robocop. Robocop yeah. is really good. Like, People forget with Verhoeven stuff, they just judge it on the surface, and RoboCop looks like this silly comic book kind of movie. And uh, it's really like a serious skewering and satire of like militarization of police and, and big business and all that kind of stuff. It's really darkly funny. 
and uh, Terminator is just, you know, Terminator. I th Terminator is a case where I think I like Terminator 2 better than Terminator. Again, maybe it's a bit slicker, but uh, T2 I saw in the theater and it blew my mind. I had never seen action like that. I had never seen special effects like that. Uh, if, if somehow you can go into T2 not knowing anything about it, there's a pretty huge reveal regarding the Terminator character midway through, but like all advertising ruins that, unfortunately. But structurally, it's a huge surprise, especially if you've seen the first movie. Um, Terminator 2 is unbelievable. Yeah. So that's going to be a really solid weekend, I think. It was revolutionary, that second Terminator, you know. Did you run any of these, Jeff? Yeah, ran both of them. I, liked, yeah. I was like... Uh, hard, hard not to escape these. You know? Yeah, I liked them both. I, I go on that boat, too. I, I liked them both. I thought they were both great. And then Sylvester Stallone did that. He was trying to capitalize on... Uh, was either RoboCop or Terminator. I forget which... What, what was it called? The Judge? Both, practically. Judge Dredd. That's it. Yeah. I love Judge Dredd. Yeah. You Judge know, Dredd. Again, a guilty pleasure. Yep. Perfect popcorn drive-in movie. Yep. I saw it at a drive-in, actually. Yep. And, uh, yeah, man. We're going to bring it yeah. someday. We're going to bring it... Heading in and keeping that theme with the sci-fi kind of overlay, we introduce our Sci-Fi Sundays, which is, again, a long time coming, something we've been wanting to do. And we're opening it up with Blade Runner, the final cut, the only approved cut at this point. On 35mm, Blade Runner is a dream. And just like most of the films that we play at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater has a severe fandom surrounding it, and certainly expect people to come and wear that on their sleeve, faces, chest, whatever it is. But where do you guys fall with Blade Runner? Movie's a trip. Oh, yeah. It's the real trip. I kind of tried to wrap my head around it the first time I saw it because I was like, at first it didn't make any sense. Then the further it goes, the more sense it makes. And then at the end, you go, okay, I get it. But then you have to watch it again so that you can see all the parts come together. It, it's a trip. It's a trip. So Philip K. Dick staple to kind of mess and twist the mind and the way that you're thinking about yeah. things. And it's uh, incredibly effective. But Mark, did you ever have a theatrical experience with this puppy? I did. And, you know, funny enough, it was the director's cut that I saw at that campus theater that we that I was part of the film society there. And we got yes. the issue of the director's cut when it came out. So everybody was excited. And that was another one I remember now that I talk about it. We it was a screening the night before it opened and we had a bunch of friends and we had like pizzas and soda and we were like sitting in the aisles watching this movie uh, because some of us were huge Blade Runner fans and it was exciting to see like a little bit different version of the movie. Yeah. Uh, apparently the deal with that was in this whole final cut thing. I looked it up to write the description for our, our blurb for this. Uh, theatrical cut came out and it was what it was. The studio wanted to, uh, as, a, as, <laughs> as a great exploiter once said, they wanted to take that empty sack of flour and keep shaking it and seeing how much more flour would fall out by creating a director's cut. So they went to Ridley Scott and there was like, anything you want to put back into this? And I think he's reluctantly said, yeah, sure, do this, whatever. But the final cut is actually the one that he had an involvement with and said, okay, this is the way I want the movie to be. No more messing around with this thing. Yeah. Um, so I saw the original like on cable and thought I, I wasn't really into it that much because it was really an intelligent movie and at the age I was when this came out or when it first hit cable, I wanted lasers. I wanted yeah. Star Wars, you know, I didn't want intellectual stuff. And I wanted Harrison Ford to have a bullwhip or yeah. a blaster in his hand. I didn't want him as a, a private eye. And what this is, is really a futuristic noir film. It's like an old detective movie. 
set in, in the future LA. And uh, it's great, you know, it's undeniably great. So I appreciate it a lot more now than I did then. And I, I honestly don't know if I've seen the final cut. I might have. I don't even remember when that came out. It was within the last, what, 15 years or so? Yeah. That's what I'm most excited about, I think, is, you know, not only revisiting this on the drive-in screen, but being able to, to compare. Right. You and know. this is what, uh, this is what Ridley a, Scott wanted. Yeah. And there was a lot of back and forth about, you know, the preferred cut throughout the years. You know, I remember those college days. That was the, the argument constantly is I prefer this cut over that cut, you know, not just with Blade Runner, but just yeah. in general. The cast nonstop. Faye actually has a deep fandom and connection with this movie. We were going to bring her in, but the fact that it's a Sunday, you know, you guys know it. Uh, even though we have connections to guests or people connected to the movie in some way, uh, sometimes that expense doesn't make sense on a Tuesday right. or a Sunday. So, but stay tuned. You know, it's very exciting for the future. Talk about exciting and talk about challenging movies as we go into our next Tunnel Vision Tuesday. The great Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs from 19... When did this one come out? 1971, right? 71. I'll say it flat out. Like, this movie is very challenging. It has a, again, stigma around it because of the challenging uh, scenes in the movie. But uh, this movie is so effective, not just on a storytelling level, but it is a study in performance, you know, again, coming from a kind of actor's discovery when I discovered this movie. The same reason that I love Badlands is the same reason I love Straw Dogs. There are places that I see uh, some of my favorite actors go in these movies that is, again, the only way to say it is inspiring, you know, and uh, brings out a conversation that you wouldn't openly have, I think. And just like when we had some of our staff on early on, that's kind of what our intro was to movies when we were younger. It was that parents taking us to the movies, we see what we see, and then the conversation happens afterwards. And that certainly is a, the case with this movie. Young Dustin Hoffman, Susan George, incredible in this film. And what can you say about Sam Peckinpah at this time? I mean, it's... It's Sam Peckinpah, and anytime we can put Peckinpah up on the screen, it's always a treat. So can't wait to see this print. Where do you guys go? Did you run this one, Jeff? I don't think so. No, I don't think I ran Strawberry. Seventy-one. Yeah, seventy-one. Yeah. No, seventy-one. I was like, I wasn't. I was still in high school. No, no. This is one I remember seeing with my father on again one of those Boston TV stations that would run movies every night, and obviously it was edited for content being on TV, but it was still harrowing. It's this slow build of this undercurrent of violence that's just bubbling under the surface. You know something bad's going to happen when Dustin Hoffman accompanies his his British wife back to this little seaside town that she comes from. And all the guys there are kind of, they, they know her and they're kind of leering. And he's this meek, like, college professor guy who they taunt as being like a wimp or whatever. And it, the whole the story is, you know, when somebody is pushed too far, which way do you fall on the side of, of violence and defending yeah. yourself? And uh, it was remade in the, in the modern era. You want to do a remake double take where one of the movies not very good? Do the Straw Dogs double feature. <laughs> I really, really despised that remake. That was not good. How unnecessary was that? But hey, this isn't the I Hate Movies podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do one sometime. 
I like talking about movies we love. Anything we play that's on this calendar, you know, is something that right. we're excited about. So this is when it comes to once in a lifetime screenings, you know, not a lot of theaters have the balls to put some of these films up on display. And, you know, that's the thing I love about our programming and working with Exhum specifically is they're known for pushing the envelope. They've been doing it for 25, pushing 30 years now. And uh, it, I'm sure they don't plan on stopping now. And the fact that we get to experience it on our lot is a true treat. I've talked about it many times. My favorite experiences from last year are those extended trailer reels. When Harry goes deep cut and sets the stage in a way that you can only do on film. It's a masterstroke. And I really love any time that we can do that. And the fact that it's every single week is kind of uh, mind boggling. So we are spoiled. Keep in mind, this is one month of programming. We, we're, this is before we get to Memorial Day. This is before we get to the summer season. This is just coming out, swinging, trying to give everybody a shot as far as tapping into as many genres and fandoms right. that we can. But one thing we wanted to do this year was take the love of the Mahoning and shine it back on the people that are responsible for the drive-in culture, those icons of the drive-in culture. And in its heyday, 60s, 70s, 80s, there were certain people that really were the face of the drive-in, were the creators of those movies you'd always see at the drive-in. And the thought behind the Mahoning Icon series is to quite literally create an event and appreciation event designed to give nothing but love to those choice people. And we're opening up this series with the queen of the drive-in, the one and only Pam Greer. We're showing Coffee and Foxy Brown on 35mm, 50th anniversary of Coffee. And man, what can you say about Pam Greer besides she embodies badassdom? She is an advocate for women. She is just an all-out icon beyond the drive-in. And uh, we did play Jackie Brown last year, which was absolutely amazing and i think correct me if i'm wrong mark i think this is the first time in our nine years that we have tapped miss pam greer for a full ode it is we we've a lot of people have asked us and we've talked about doing a black action or black exploitation movie weekends and this is our way to dip a toe into that these movies are great i just saw coffee again recently on the big screen it holds up fantastically and i mean it's I hate the word dated because every everything is dated. Everything is is symptomatic, emblematic, hydromatic, and grease lightning from the year that it yeah. was made. Styles <laughs> change, music changes, but badassery doesn't. And Coffee and, and Foxy Brown are two great, strong female lead revenge films with great soundtracks. You've got uh, Roy Ayers doing the Coffee soundtrack. You have Willie Hutch doing the Foxy Brown soundtrack. You've got Sid Haig in one, or I think both of the movies. A lot of the players, Alan Arbus is, is a great sleaze in Coffee. And they're these just excellent American international action movies from the early 70s. Coffee, it's, it's 50th anniversary of Coffee this year, I think is partly what inspired to us to do this. And then Foxy Brown was originally going to be called Burn Coffee Burn and be a sequel to Coffee, but uh, some, something went on at AIP, so they wanted to just basically change the title and change the character a little bit. Both directed by Jack Hill, and they're just, you want to talk about drive-in movies. These are great drive-in movies. They're great to see on the big screen. They're great to see with a crowd. They're just, uh, they, they were made for the setting in which they're about to be shown, and Pam Greer's yeah. amazing. 
Her 70s output is just iconic, and she's continued to do good work throughout. She's still working now, and uh, I'm a huge fan. So to see these on our screen finally is is going to be very exciting. I believe we're going to have a trailer reel put together from Exhumed Films of more Pam Greer trailers, so you get a, get a glimpse of all the films we're not showing this weekend. And uh, this is one of the ones, I think in May, this might be my number one most uh, excitable weekend. Yeah, yeah, we got people uh, out of bitch for this one. And uh, how about you, Jeff? Did you have any theatrical experiences? With I Pam? showed some of her films, and yeah, she's fantastic. It's like Mark said; they they're, they're just great. They're just great films, great drive-in films, especially. And uh, I love them. I I don't think I've seen all her films, but I just I I love her stuff. It's great. And uh, finally, again, we get to uh, introduce a new fresh event. Hopefully you guys come out and support it because we have some ideas for later in the season and ongoing. So just like you guys suggest all the time through the website titles, feel free to toss out some people you think would be worthy of the Mahoning icon emblem and award. So you wouldn't say that's really family friendly. Those grindhouse titles are something that, uh, you know, plays to that more teenage angst audience. Right. But we are taking a hard right into maybe the most family-friendly event of this calendar, and it has Wizard of Oz and Willy Wonka on it. Muppets Take Mahoning. Long time coming for this event. We've been working with the Beretta Brothers for easily um, maybe a year and a half, two years, trying to get this event to work. And we found the right way to make it work. We're playing the original Muppets movie as well as the more modern Muppets take, which is called just The Muppets. I personally grew up with The Muppets. I think we likely all did. And uh, the love for The Muppets and the Henson Corporation is really like none other. You know, you talk about the Disney fandom and how crazy hype and dedicated those people are. We are seeing some Muppet mayhem come out of the woodwork. And uh, it's a nice tie-in as well with Muppet Mayhem, which is going to be premiering on the 10th of May. As you guys know, one half of the Beretta Brothers is the director-creator of that show. And uh, we're really, really excited to bring them in. Where are you guys at with the Muppet fandom? Did it hit you as early as it did me? I mean, some of my earliest memories are snuggling Kermit and Miss Piggy in bed. You yeah, know? that's... Um... Not the actual Kermit Miss Piggy in <laughs> Well, we hope you had fun. <laughs> it's funny because I have to be the downer on this one. I'm not a downer, but I just missed that era. I was a little bit too old for the Muppets. I was just coming out of that phase, so to speak. And I thought when they first came out, I thought, you know, Sesame Street, you know, I just missed all of that. And I thought, oh, well, that's cute, you know, but I was a little bit above it at that point. So it didn't hit me like it hit you guys. I appreciate them, but I never really got into them that much. For me, it was uh, it was Sesame Street every day. So you saw Muppets and, and Kermit and the Sesame Street Muppets in that. And then the Muppet Show was on at the time, currently. So I, it was Muppet Show in syndication. So I was watching the Muppet Show all the time. I, was, I went to see the great Muppet Caper when it came out. And that's like the first soundtrack I ever owned, actually. I bought the, the soundtrack album, still have it, to the great Muppet Caper. And I was into it up, up to a point. I, I got a little older and I kind of fell off, even though the Muppets is like the Looney Tunes. If you look at in terms of the Muppets, now the stuff on Sesame Street's a little bit more kid skewed, but the Muppet stuff always was really kind of aimed at grown-ups, but because they were puppets, kids could get into it too. 
So I, I watched, uh, yeah, the films in the theaters up up to a point. I, no, maybe I saw all the films in the theaters, actually, up through, like, Muppets in Space, I think, was the last theatrical feature they did. And then they did uh, the continuing TV shows, including this new Muppet Mayhem show. And, uh, yeah, I've always loved them. And I've got the well, I've got the Burger King glasses that you, or McDonald's glasses from the first two movies that you could bet, buy, you know, once a week and stuff like that. And I've got a good amount of Muppet merch. So uh, the Muppet movie is great. It's uh, wonderful Paul Williams songs in that film. Great cameos. You've got Steve Martin and Madeline Kahn and Orson Welles and Mel Brooks and on and on and on. And uh, it's amazing. And that movie, The Muppets, I was really dubious about a new Muppet movie when that came out. And I thought it was great. It's very funny. It's got the same sweet spirit to it. It's got the Amer the American, well, they are, the um, human leads, not, as opposed to the human league, the human leads of Jason Siegel and Amy Adams and a lot of cameos in it. And uh, it's I think it's a really strong double feature, actually. I think that the, the Henson Company has done such an incredible job of keeping that love and that passion on display, which we've went, you know, you'll, you guys will hear in a future podcast with the Beretta brothers. It's truly inspiring and um, is one of those situations that to be able to bring this, this event together with the creators of, of the modern Muppets is kind of mind bending. So uh, to say we're excited is an understatement. And we got, so much happening for that event. Not only are the Breda Brothers doing a live podcast, some cool elements. We got vendors. We got all sorts of stuff. Photo ops going to be amazing. So if you got a munchkin or, or you are nostalgic for the Muppets, this is the Muppets event of the year. So come on out. There's lots of surprises I wish we could spoil for you, but you're just going to have to be there. <laughs> right. <laughs> and last year for me, it was Night of the Hunter. Crossing that off of the bucket list, I've said it many a time, it's in my top 10, washes over you like a dream. This year, for our Sunday Essential series, we are starting things off with Terrence Malick's I say near-perfect cinematic experience of Badlands, starring the great Martin Sheen and the beautiful Sissy Spacek. This movie, geez, even thinking about it, I'm starting to tear up, is so effective. And I saw it at a time where I wasn't thinking about filmmaking. I wasn't thinking about performance or watching a movie on that level. It just hit me because it is a true masterwork and really works on so many levels. There's... An element, I guess, of Bonnie and Clyde because it is about a, a couple going on a killing spree across the country, but it is so much deeper than that. That's your surface kind of uh, tagline or logline, but uh, the performances, again, in this movie are maybe some of the best of both of their careers, and that's saying a lot. Yeah, where do you fall? I mean, Terrence Malick, the fact that we get to play Terrence Malick up on this screen, he is one of those filmmakers that wasn't a I'm a pump a movie out every year guy. He was more like a every five years, maybe sometimes 10 years gap. And any time that he hit the screen, you knew that you were in for a treat. And this was kind of the kickoff to all that. I think it's one of his more accessible movies, too, because the longer he went on, the more really artistic. His he leaned into the art. Yeah more amorphous experiences of texture and emotion and visuals and sound. And this is this is like a straight ahead movie movie. He, he, he went farther afield as he went. This is a great movie. This is one I had I think I originally rented the old 
clamshell Warner Home Video big box tape of this back in my, when I first got it, you know, a VCR in the late 80s as a kid, and I was just like a voracious renter of all these movies I'd only ever read about. Because back then, if you just kind of had to scour the TV guide and hope you caught them, and then when the video store came along, it was like, that was my film school before I went to film school. And uh, it's great. It's like a true crime movie. It's beautiful. It's gorgeously shot. It's, you know, relatively early in the careers as far as superstardom goes for the two leads. And uh, it's going to look really nice up on that screen. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Nice, nice lazy Sunday spent with a couple of murderers <laughs> on the big screen. Uh, how about you, Jeff? Uh, no, I never saw it. Never saw it. Oh, I can't I wait missed that one somehow. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to watch that one. I'm going to have to watch that one. Tuesday nights throughout the season, I mean, it's just hitting you over the head right out the gate. And in this case, on the 23rd, it hits you over the head with a hammer wearing some black gloves as we present Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Mark, I know you've got the history with this movie. We, I don't think we, did we play this in our uh, Argento run? I don't believe this. Harry doesn't like to repeat himself too soon, so I may be wrong, but I don't believe this was part of the Argento show last season. This is Italian horror maestro Dario, also known as the Italian Hitchcock. He was uh, Dario Argento's first feature film, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage from 1970. This stars Tony Musante and Susie Kendall. And uh, tell me if you've ever heard this plot in an Argento film. Somebody's going about their business, they witness a murder or an attempted murder, and then before they can figure out exactly what they saw and finger the murderer, the murderer is trying to kill them. <laughs> what? You could apply that to basically every film he made for about 20 years. Uh, but, it, but it works. It's super hey. stylish. It's an Ennio Morricone score, which is great. It's really creepy and really, really memorable. There's a lot of scenes that are that just kind of burn into your brain with this movie. And it's it's a giallo film, which if you're not familiar, giallo uh, is Italian for yellow. That was the, co the color of a series of mystery horror novels that were released in Italy in a certain period of time. And these films emulate that style. So this is one of the early giallo films. I mean, technically the first giallo film is credited to as Mario Bava with maybe Blood and Black Lace about five or six years before this. But this was a huge movie this brought him to america this film was popular in america which is where they referred to him as the italian hitchcock so people had a frame of reference but it's uh, dubbed in english great widescreen photography it's a really good movie i saw a print of this at the coolidge corner theater in boston back in the 90s as a midnight show and it had cut into it an alternate title called the phantom of death so i, I don't believe this is that print but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This is why I don't hit a lot of the Tuesday night shows just because it's a it's a long drive for me after having just come home on a Monday from the drive in to, to go back on Tuesday and watch a movie and then go home and then come back. But uh, I love this movie so much. I think I'm probably going to come down for this. Yeah, it's going to be a treat. The Giallo fans come out uh, in a big, bad way. Argento. Anytime we touch Argento, uh, people are coming out really excited about that screening. Then we get into the kickoff of the season, which has always been the kickoff of the season for us, which is crazy to think uh, after going through that insane amount of nonstop action and titles in April and May. As we get to Zombie Fest, and we are now at Zombie Fest 9. How crazy that. is that? Nine years of wow. Zombie Fest. And you guys know it. It is our annual celebration of The Walking Dead. I mean, not that television series. <laughs> um, but it is now a four-day run as we go Thursday all the way through to Sunday. And we're kicking things off with, we talked about it earlier, the Raimi classic, Army of Darkness. That's right. Break out your boomsticks. We're doing it big. Kicking it off pregame style. 
then we roll into the meat of the weekend. And Mark, why don't you give us a breakdown of Friday night's happenings? Okay, so we have a special guest on Friday, which requires a little bit of explanation for some people. So back in the 80s, there was a videotape. The home video was big, in case you hadn't heard. And there was a videotape uh, that was a straight-to-video thing called Mad Ron's Previews from Hell. And this was the first time I was av ever able to see a trailer compilation videotape. Now, there, they have proliferated since then. Exhumed Films, through their Garage House Pictures label, has released several volumes of trailer trauma, which are just all old trailers, and they're, it's amazing. But Mad Ron's Previews from Hell was the first one of these that I ever saw, and it was hosted, it was all horror cult movie trailers, exploitation, and it was hosted by a ventriloquist with a zombie dummy. And <laughs> it was Nick Paolo and Happy, and those guys are coming out to be with us on Friday night. So the original happy that. puppet from Mad Ron's previews from hell and the original puppeteer, Nick, are going to be out to meet people and, and sign things. And, and that's amazing. So the films that night are as follows. Will you get Lucio Fulci's The Beyond from 1981, followed by The Fog, John Carpenter's The Fog. And we're rounding that out with Carnival of Souls, the original from 1962, which is a great movie. And Harry knows what he's doing. Putting that movie last in the wee hours, that is such a, a living, waking, dream-slash-nightmare vibe to that movie. To see that on a quiet drive-in lot late at night when you're pretty tired and out of it is going to work much like I mentioned earlier. It's going to work for people much like that screening I had of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So Friday night is really pretty solid. That's pretty stacked. I mean, the beyond, every time we play it, demolishes the fog. Same situation. Then we get into Carnival of Souls. So, yeah, can't wait for Friday night. And I'll say it. I mean, people may have a preference in these lineups to say, like, oh, Saturday's stronger than Friday or whatever the case. This is the event where people come and spend the entire weekend with us. It is a holiday celebration. Huge tourist weekend, as you could imagine. So we're really excited for this one every time we can kick it off. That's on the 26th of May. What do we got going on the 27th? 27th, we have a special guest. Our special guest is Howard Sherman, who played Bub, the uh, semi-intelligent, the intelligent zombie in George Romero's Day of the Dead from 1985. Icon. Yeah. He is the image for that movie. Like, Bub is the one. Bub's the guy. Bub's going to be there selling and signing autographs and photos meeting and greeting fans the lineup that night is uh, kicked off by day of the dead followed by phantasm 2 from 1988 by don coscarelli phantasm 2 is great and phantasm oh, so 2 good. is army of darkness is the army of darkness attitude in the reggie character before army of darkness came out phantasm yes, 2 is a total, it's a studio it goes from phantasm being this small weird independent horror feature to you know 10 years later coscarelli is working for universal pictures with some money and has this basically action horror movie that kicks it up a notch, and the tall man is back, and, and Reggie is back, and, and the Cuda is back, and it's a badass. And then the third movie that night, also from 1988, is Dead Heat, which is a big cult favorite. I remember renting this at the time and really having a good time. It's a horror comedy with Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo as buddy cops, one of whom becomes it turns into a zombie and he comes back from the dead, or is killed in the line of duty, comes back from the dead to take out the guys who did it to him. Darren McGavin is in it. It's a, it's a good wacko movie to finish off night one. Finally, we get the Piscopo up on the big Mahoning screen. <laughs> Our Piscopo event, we're working toward it, folks. It's going to be what? It's going to be uh, Wise Guys and Johnny Dangerously is the Yeah, that's movie. it. They're both good. Wise Guys directed by Brian De Palma, his That's mob right. comedy. 
And uh, Johnny Dangerously is really funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yep. It just tickles me. I watched it recently. As you guys know, I'm a huge Saturday Night Live fan, and I love the the, the Piscopo era. He is a whack. That movie <laughs> I uh, visited, revisited recently in the off season, and it's so good. It's a movie where you don't expect it to go where it's going. It definitely plays buddy comedy, or I'm sorry, like buddy copy. Then it gets into the horror elements with the undead. It's it's really a fun trip. So can't wait for that one. Um, and then closing things out on Sunday night, because it is a holiday triple feature, a rare Sunday night triple feature. So uh, where are we going Sunday? Sunday kicks off with 1996's Ernest Dickerson directed Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. This was a spinoff from the Tales from the Crypt HBO series at the time, and it is a feature-length weird tale. It's got the vibe of a Tales from the Crypt episode where it feels comic booky. And this movie's really fun. Like, when it came out, I didn't have any interest in it. It looked silly to me. And it wasn't until many years later, 10 years ago, maybe I saw it at a horror festival that wasn't at our drive-in and I had a really good time with it. It's Billy Zane and it's it's like a siege by all these weird demons and creatures in this one location. I think William Sadler, who played Death in uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, if I recall, is in Hell this yeah, film. Yeah, he did. Yep. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And that's followed up, speaking of fun, this is a great movie. Night of the Creeps, Fred Decker, 1986. The, to me, maybe definitive role for Tom Atkins, I'm not sure. And uh, Jason Lively, who came out, I think, I wanna say the last time we played this, Jason Lively came out visited with us. I got to drive him around and hear some really choice stories from the making of European Vacation. And then that is followed by 1984's Mutant, which I've never seen, directed by John Bud Cardos. Yeah, Mutant is uh, one of those VHS titles that got handed around all the time. I'll never forget that box staring at you when you go through the horror section of just that weird-looking mutant on the front. It just says... Mutant, it begs you to pick it up. Like, what is this? <laughs> I that's one of those movies from the video store era. I would, you know, walk the aisles for so many years. I know the box, and I still haven't seen the movie. So I guess May twenty eighth is is my date with uh, Destiny or or date with a mutant. Again, perfect late night fair. Harry uh, knocking it out the park with Zombie Fest this year, and yeah, Night of the Creeps for me. That's the highlight right there. We played, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, was our very first horror event that we did in 2014. Did it not feature a Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, or was that the original Tales from the Crypt? It was the, I, I was there, that was the first time I went to the Mahoning. It right. was Tales from the Crypt from 72, the Amicus the Anthology. Yeah. It was yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street and Dr. Butcher MD. Yes, that was it. For some reason, I thought that we played this at a certain point, but... I'll have to go back and dig through the uh, the yearbooks and see what's what. But huge fan of John Kassir, huge fan of that HBO series. John Kassir crushes it. He does the convention scene and charges for voice messages. So like if somebody calls your phone and you don't answer, it's the Crypt Keeper. And I know that James <laughs> had it for a while. Whenever you called James, it would be Kassir being like, James isn't here right now. It's just so good. <laughs> But yeah, Zombie Fest this year, baby, like we said, normally kicks our season off, uh, but we're starting things off in a big, bad way. This whole entire experience is a dream come true, as you guys all know. But every now and then we get to do these bucket list titles, be able to cross some choice titles off of our 35 millimeter wish list. May delivers two of my top tens as we close out May on Tunnel Vision Tuesday, the 30th with Stand By Me, oh my, my favorite childhood movie, without a doubt. 
This is one of those movies, like a movie I love by Don Coscarelli called Kenny and Company. It may hit harder as an adult than watching it as a kid. And it totally works as a kid. Like when this came out, everybody I knew loved this movie. I was, uh, what, 12 when this movie came out. And it, it, it feels like you and your friends, you know? And it, and it has that wistfulness of being narrated uh, from a, the adult point of view of one of the characters in the movie. And then you watch it again as an adult and it works equally as well, if not better. It's, uh, it's really funny. It's really uh, dramatic. It's got many memorable moments. It'll make you think twice about ever entering or even watching a pie contest. And it's got that song. That song was a hit again in 86 due to being used in this movie. Benny King like shot a new video and it played all over MTV. And, uh, you know, the, the cast, you have young Jerry O'Connelly of Young River Phoenix. You've got uh, young Will Wheaton. And uh, who's who am I leaving out there? Young Corey Feldman. And uh, yeah. it's just, it's solid. We ran it once before, at least once before, at a car show we did many moons ago. I think when I was maybe not even a volunteer at that point, it was uh, Christine and Stand By Me. And uh, a local, <laughs> one of my memories of Stand By Me is a local movie theater in the town I used to live did a children's a family film series or kid film series. And part of that film series of matinees was Stand By Me. <laughs> and I had to contact them and go... <laughs> This isn't really for kids. It's rated R. It's filled with profanity. It's yeah. really not for kids, even though it features kids. Even though you remember seeing it when you were a kid, I necessarily wouldn't push this as a kid flick. Yeah. Right. Now, it was one of those movies that it, it went somewhere that a lot of kids' movies didn't do. And like you said, like a lot of us experienced this as a kid. The fact that the, all the kids curse, you got kids smoking, you got them going on an adventure, doing the... It, it brought something out in me, I think, that I uh, no other movie had done before in a way that the way that the story is presented is truly moving. The emotional line of loss, the moving on from friends, like you said, I think it's a movie you can grow up with and hits you over and over again in different ways as you grow up with this movie. Based on the Stephen King short, right? Novella? Yeah, it was a, a Stephen King shorter story called The Body. And yeah, it, it, it really did open up the kind of door to Stephen King, the element of writing, you know, again, as a kid and yeah. an impressionable youth. It just feels like a classic stage play in a way that it, it feels essential while you're watching it. It feels Americana at the same time. There's a lot of very American elements, but yep. it, it is a, a universal kind of coming of age story. And those are the type of stories I think I love the most. And the fact that we get to revisit this, so, so excited. Uh, is this one you got to play, Jeff? Yes, I ran this one and uh, I also sat down and watched it. Like you said, just an excellent movie, an excellent way to, to tell a story. And yeah, all ages. I mean, it's not a kid's movie, but the kids would get something out of it. Whereas an adult, you get something else out of it. And it just all mixes together. It was just a, a, a great film. I think it was just a great film. People are going to come out and enjoy that one. Uh, again, if you guys are local, even if you're not local, keep Tuesdays in mind. They're a really great night out at the movies. Again, with the extended reel and the fun, you get to get home at a decent hour. It's it's a great option. Same thing with those Sundays. You know, we started doing the single feature Sundays for a reason. You know, we know people have work the next day, but you can right. still come out right. and get a great a great night at the movies in a bite sized portion. So right, you don't get home super late. Yep. 
Yeah. And of course, tickets available for all of these shows and beyond at MahoningDIT.com. Uh, we can't wait to see you guys out at the Mahoning lot. So much to share with you guys. So many surprises. So stay tuned to the socials. I guess it's a good time to let people know about the Patreon now that we're getting into the real perks and meat of the season. Uh, so, Mark, why don't you give them a breakdown on the Patreon? Sure thing. We have a Patreon program, in case you didn't know, and that is, uh, like any Patreon program, it's a subscription service where you sign up and there are tiers. There's the $4.99, the $9.99, and the $19.99, and they each get you increasingly cool amounts of stuff. So baseline is you get a lot of content that we don't really have room for on our social media. We don't, most of our social media is really, once we open for the season certainly, is about promoting upcoming shows and conveying information about upcoming shows. But the Patreon gives you a lot of behind the scenes, a lot of the inside scoop, a lot of advanced ticket availability, advanced word, uh, early looks at poster art, uh, looks at things from our archives, exclusive podcasts, uh, exclusive photos, on and on and on. And it, and it is geared for the, uh, it's always weird to say this, but the Mahoning fan or the, the hardcore film fan. If you are in the Simplex level, which is the $20 a month level, you get an annually an exclusive design every year uh, enamel pin. You get monthly, two monthly exclusive screenings. You get the monthly virtual screening that is something usually from the AGFA film library that we all screened as a mystery movie. Like I'll give you a clue as to what it is, but you won't really know. And we all watch that together via Zoom. But increasingly I'm getting pre-release films from video companies, either retro or upcoming films. And we'll have a filmmaker come on and talk about it and do a Q&A afterwards. We did a couple of those that were a total blast. And then the in-person shows we'll do once a month on when we're open, which is April through October. Those are 35 millimeter screenings. We pull a print from our personal vault or from the vault of a collector friend. They're films that tend to not be something normally we would show at the theater. So they're a little bit more deeper dish. And they are also films that probably have not hit that screen either ever or since they originally came out. So again, for serious film fans, those, those Patreon shows are a lot of fun. And uh, I try to keep it interesting. It posts almost every day if I can. And uh, it's a great way to support the theater. It's a way we've never had an income stream in the off season before. And that allows us to pay for our film storage, to pay for additional film acquisitions, to pay for new equipment for the theater. So it all goes back in the theater. And, and we thank you endlessly for that. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash Mahoning Drive-In, I hope that's the URL. If not, just type in Patreon and Mahoning and you'll find it. Uh, it's all the information is there. I think that's I think that's great the way Mark put it because that's the idea. We want to put it back into the theater because we want the Mahoning Drive-In Theater to be around long after we're gone. Absolutely. And that's the whole goal here, you know. Uh, the idea that we are blessed and uh, you guys care enough that we get to do all this extra stuff and bring the love of the drive-in culture to your ears every single week is truly an honor truly a blessing and the amount of friends that we've made at the mahoning lot is endless but i'll tell you what this podcast series is a gift in the way that we are connecting with our true community of drive-in owners and the folks who are responsible for the staples of the drive-in industry and uh, we can't be luckier, we can't be happier, and uh, we look forward to this season in such a way. You know, the off-season we've talked about is a void, not being able to see our fans, not being able to get together with our crew, our family at this point. So to get back into the swing of things, it's just, uh, you can feel it. You can feel it in the air. Oh, yeah. Yep. 
So we'll see you guys April 28th. Or if you're a Patreon member, we'll see you on the 27th. Hint, hint, check us out. And on that note, Jeff, take it away, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for coming out tonight to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. The exit is on the right-hand side of the screen at the front of the field. And most importantly, have a very safe trip home. Good night and God bless you.